0: Thanks for joining me now let's dive deep hey guys Erin here welcome back and thanks for joining us I'm here with Kyle True and we both kind of have deep husky voices so we do hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you can tell us apart Um, Today, we're going to dive into a frequently asked question that we both get about healthy snacking. Should you be snacking? And if so, what should you be eating? I'll also be talking about how and why we're driven to eat um, as human beings, not just me and Kyle. But before before we get into that, Kyle, what is up with you this week?
1: So I wanted to talk about a new little segment we'll be doing regularly all around self-care. We touched on the importance of self-care during our last episode and both expressed what a vital piece it is for health because, and so because of that, I think it would be helpful to sprinkle in a little of that self-care magic into each episode and help people start to think of ways that they can care for themselves better. Ultimately, it's all about learning to make yourself a priority, not an afterthought after you've already exhausted all of your energy on everything else in your life. So self-care is not one size fits all. What's relaxing to one person might not work for another. Some basic ideas for self-care are taking baths, reading, going for walks, doing social media detoxes, or at least carving out time that you're not using electronics, uh, getting massages or any other bodywork done, going to therapy, journaling, exercise or any movement. You get the idea. So I think it would be helpful to share something that we're doing for ourselves in hopes to encourage our listeners to try some new ideas for their own self-care. So recently, I tried my very first yin yoga class. The class was taught by Kimberly Perrier, who is an incredible yoga and meditation teacher in Asheville and is also just one of my favorite people in town it was super relaxing and therapeutic to take some time after work just to slow down and move my body in a way that isn't intense and isn't about sweating out calories so since you're a yoga teacher erin can you explain a bit about what is yin yoga and why is it helpful
0: yeah i was big on the yin train back in the day i practiced it pretty regularly and um, i even weaved it into some of my classes that i taught I'm definitely not an expert, so I hope that I'm not going to offend any yin teachers out there, but I'll do my best to describe it as I understand it. Yin is a pretty passive practice. If you think about the more active styles of yoga like vinyasa and ashtanga and Bikram, that's more yang-like. You're really stretching and working the muscles. So yin is very different than that because you're targeting the connective tissue around the joints and so you hold postures for quite a while, usually three or five minutes or sometimes even longer, and that's in order to target the deep layers of fascia. But it's not restorative yoga. I think of restorative yoga as the most passive yoga practice because you basically just lie there supported by a ton of props. Um, Yin can be a lot more intense than that. At least that's my experience with it, it's intense in the body because you hold postures for so long, but it's also intense with yourself, like with what you're experiencing inside. Because so much of modern day yoga that we all know and love, um, there's a lot of movement, right? In vinyasa yoga, you're going, 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 which doesn't leave a whole lot of time to think. It's actually one of my favorite parts about the practice. I get to just check out of my head and into my body. And I'm also a huge fan of Bikram. And I practice that pretty regularly, but I admit that I can sometimes like check out of that practice too, sort of just go through the motions while letting my mind run amok. So yin is the opposite of this because it really takes the distraction away um, you don't have that constant movement and so while you're just sitting there in a long hold of a posture sensations come up emotions come up and you know we we absolutely hold stuff in our bodies in our in our tissues and our joints and so whether that's memories or feelings or trauma um, I've found that this practice really allows it all to kind of come up to the surface for me did you find that to be true with your yin experience at all
1: uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess I did not expect it to be like that. I just wanted something slower. But I have a lot of stressful things going on with me right now, personally. And while I like doing things that can pull me out of my head, I also wanted to honor what was going on and, and to try to do something that would allow me to feel um, and move through those more difficult emotions. So lately, for me, that's been going to therapy and doing yin yoga. So Erin, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on self-care and anything you've been doing for that. Uh, First, I want to say that I'm pumped about this
0: segment. So thanks for scheming it up because self-care is pretty trendy right now, which is awesome. Um, I'm just so happy to see people, both women and men, recognize that taking care of ourselves is a worthwhile endeavor. Like, What a thought but something I've also seen is that because people know that it's important, it now becomes just one more thing on their never-ending to-do list. I've even had members of my Fueled and Fit program tell me that trying to schedule in self-care actually stresses them out, which is funny and ironic, Um, but self-care doesn't have to be this Pinterest-worthy thing. You don't have to bring your ideas to perfectionism to this because it's just for you. And as practitioners, I think it's one thing for us to tell a client or a patient that they need to implement more self, self-care, but it's even more powerful and more helpful to talk about how you do it in your own life, to kind of showcase that. You know, it's one thing to say, say it, but in real life, how are you actually doing it? So I think that's what we're hoping to do here with this little segment. So I'm going to share something that I've recently discovered as self-care and it's definitely not Pinterest worthy. If there's, it's not a detox bath or lemon water or 30 <laughs> minutes of guided meditation. Only um, 30 minutes? <laughs> 30 minutes twice a day. So, Megan Telpner is a Canada based nutritionist who I adore. And she recently had a baby. When the baby was seven weeks old, she posted on Instagram that she was back to work just a little bit. And then she followed it up by saying, Staying active in my business is important for my well being, part of my self care, if you will. And this idea of my business as self care struck such a chord with me. And I heard it at the exact right time because I was feeling some weird feelings, definitely some guilt around wanting to work so much. I chose to be a stay-at-home mom, for those of you guys who don't know that, but I also work and I really, really like the work that I do. And I was getting to the place, my daughter's three, three now, and I was getting to this place where I was like, am I working too much? Do I like it too much? Do I like it more than being a mom? And I was just feeling really bad about it. So then I read this simple post on Instagram and had such an aha moment because I realized that the work that I do is self-care in a lot of ways because it fills me up so much. Creating content for programs, writing blogs, this podcast, going back to school, my clients, all of that stuff really lights me up. And because I place so much value on self-care, especially after getting sick two years ago, this reframe really allowed me to release the guilt and instead just feel fortunate that my
1: work and my hobbies and passion are all intertwined. Damn girl, that's awesome. (laughs) Most of the times we cannot change a situation, but we always have control over our attitudes. So I think it's great that you found a way to give yourself permission for being invested in your work without feeling the guilt. Um, Yeah. All right, so let's get into a frequently asked question. This is one that we get asked often, healthy snacks. What should I be snacking on? Should I be snacking in the first place? Today, Erin and I will talk about our favorite snacks and the type of snacks we would recommend to clients. Yes, and I
0: think before we even get into any of that, and I promise that we will, but before we do, it's important to ask why are we so obsessed with the idea of snacking in the first place why is this a frequently asked question that we get Um, snacking is really a modern thing looking back in history we weren't continuously eating all day around the clock but the idea of snacking has become second nature to us so i really wanted to dive into like why is this the case i think we first have to address the food industry the fact that they're constantly pushing food on us. Food is everywhere from gas stations, to movie theaters, to furniture stores. That plus the fact that we're biologically primed to want to eat. What I mean by this is we get biochemical rewards when we eat. And this is really part and parcel with the evolution of our species because procuring food used to be hard work. Now it's not the case. We can get food anywhere and everywhere, but historically, we'd actually have to work to get that food. So we do have all of these feel-good chemicals re- released when we eat and they're there to motivate us to want to hunt, to want to gather, to want to procure food so we don't starve to death. Yay! Um, that plus the fact that our modern diet is super high and heavily processed, refined carbohydrate, but really n- low in nutrients. So even though we're eating a lot of food, we're still constantly hungry, which leads to snacking.
1: This reminds me of a book from uh, Michael Moss, Salt, Sugar, Fat. What's the name of the book? The book talked about how in 1999, the VP of Kraft expressed concerns over the growing obesity epidemic at a meeting with all of the top executives of America's biggest food companies. He pleaded with his colleagues to hold themselves accountable and to shift their resources towards making healthier food for people. The CEO of General Mills was the first one to speak up, and he said that they aren't only accountable to consumers, but to their shareholders too, and that if they wanted to make sure their products tasted good and that people continued to buy them, there was no way that they could decrease the salt, sugar, and fat, because that would make food that people didn't want to eat because salt, sugar, and fat are the key ingredients processed and packaged food companies use to make the items successful. They hire scientists, and they alter these three things until they hit the sweet spot, and that sweet spot is what's going to sell the most product. Regardless of how much salt, sugar, and fat the product ends up having, it's all about the sales. So. The VP of Kraft ultimately left the company because he knew the change wasn't going to come from within. The point being is that these companies do not have your back. The more salt, sugar, and fat they give you, the more salt, sugar, and fat you crave, which means more money for their shareholders and their pockets. The only time health comes into the equation with these companies is when it's something that they can market and just make more money off of. That's
0: so infuriating <laughs>
1: really so frustrating is. it's like a business it's you mm-hmm. know food
0: is just big business and that's what like that's why we always say big food it's it's a it's an industry um, another book that kind of follows suit with this it's called the end of overeating it was written by David Kessler he's the former commissioner of the FDA so these are like big wigs writing these books and he's basically saying the exact same stuff and that book is almost 10 years old now, and the book you're talking about, Kyle, is like 20 years old. So this tomfoolery is nothing new. It's basically the food industry is creating food that you will get addicted to, and it's completely legal to do this. What is also legal is food marketing. It's directed toward us all the time, and if you don't think that's true, really start to pay attention because it's everywhere. It's even toward children, and that's what really grinds my gears. Um, If you think about the Snickers tagline, hungry, why wait? Those two questions to me just completely showcase the situation we have going on with food. It admits that you're probably hungry all the time, and that when you do get hungry, you get hangry. And even the fact that hangry is a well-known term just sort of solidifies this point. We eat these high carbohydrate, highly processed food, which spike our blood sugar, and then blood sugar crashes and then we're left feeling hangry, shaky, miserable. And so we need food to bring our blood sugar back up, and that leads us to, to reaching for more snacks.
1: Yeah, a 16-ounce bottle of Mountain Dew has 61 grams of sugar in it. If you can f- hear Whoa. me pulling out my hair, <laughs> then that's what I'm doing. You basically ate a quarter cup of sugar for a snack or on top of a meal. So how long do you think that sugar high is going to last? And then what are you going to reach for once your crash hits? I hope it's not a Snickers bar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like what you did there.
1: (laughs) Um, But even if you're on the healthy train,
0: so Mountain Dew is obviously not like the healthiest food in the world. But if you're trying to make healthy choices, let's say a granola bar or crackers or even a 100 calorie snack pack, which, by the way, The fact that these even exist only further reinforces my point. It's like Mm. they're saying, we know you're hungry, we know this food is addictive, so we have to cut you off because (laughs) you can't do that yourself. Um, But any of these highly processed foods, heavy on the carbs, low on the nutrients, they're going to cause this blood sugar spike and then subsequent crash. So. I know we haven't even attempted to answer the question just yet, but I think this is exactly why we wanted to start a podcast in the first place. There's no easy answer. We could just sit here and say, oh, you need a healthy snack? Well, Lara bars are great. But I, I think it's really important to dive into hey, why are we even asking this question in the first place? Like, why are we so programmed to want a snack? So I'm saying all of these things, and it's really not to suggest that snacking is inherently bad. But let's start to question our beliefs around snacking and around-the-clock eating in order to pinpoint what is true and right for us as individuals. And I would love to do a future episode on meal timing and meal spacing because I have a lot of things to say about that. But I don't want to get too far into the weeds in this episode. I think it's important to point out here, though, that the whole eat every few hours is not sage advice for everyone. You know, the eat six mini meals throughout the day to stoke your metabolism. Like We've all heard that before and it's kind of infuriating to me because it's not based on anything. There is no science to back that claim up. You do not have to stoke your metabolism or stoke the fire. That's not a thing. But it's become such rhetoric that many people believe it and they adhere to that belief. It's simply regurgitation of misinformation, which is very common in the whole world of nutrition. Um, But this particular idea is pushed by people in companies that are selling protein powders in meal replacement shakes and bars. Because let's face it, if you have to eat six meals a day, then you better believe for convenience purposes alone, at least one or two of them will be a shake or a bar. So when you hear that suggestion, whether it be from a diet plan or something else, stop and question, who is making money off of this? Is the same person or company telling me this also trying to sell me a protein powder or meal replacements? Just think about it. I'm not a conspiracy theorist here, but I do want people to start to think critically about where they're getting their nutrition information. So if you're hungry an hour or two hours after you eat, it's simply because you didn't eat enough at the meal prior to. And personally, I think that's the real issue that we're overlooking here is that people, especially women, and especially women concerned with body composition, are under eating. So let's bring us back online here. If you're hungry, an hour or two hours after you eat a meal, rather than think, oh, I need a snack or I need a mini meal, really start to think, oh, you know what, I didn't eat enough at my last meal, and I just have to adjust that moving forward. If we're eating a substantial amount of quality, real food, we shouldn't be hungry an hour or two later unless there's something else going on. A meal really should be substantial enough to carry us to our next meal. And when I say substantial, I'm talking volume of food, so the the amount of food, the calories in the food, and the macronutrients, so fat, uh, carbohydrate, and protein. And if you feel the need to snack off and just make sure you're eating enough at your meals. So having said that, there are a few populations of people who might do better with eating every few hours. Um, this is somebody with hypoglycemia. So if you deal with low blood sugar problems, um, it's it can actually be a lot, lot more beneficial for you to eat every few hours just so you don't get that dramatic drop in blood sugar. And this goes hand in hand with somebody with adrenal fatigue or and or cortisol dysregulation. And it's really for the same the same um, same reasons. Cortisol and blood sugar are pretty intimately connected. So if there's dysregulation with one, there's probably dysregulation with the other. Um, somebody who's pregnant can definitely, as you move toward the later stages of pregnancy, um, you don't have as much room in your belly. And so you start to get heartburn and acid reflux with larger meals so smaller meals is better and anybody that's been pregnant can certainly attest to that and then the same deal with breastfeeding just because you're so hungry all the time like you you need snacks you need a steady source of glucose so just have snacks around all the time and then somebody that's in recovery for an eating disorder under eating anorexia Um, these people might have a challenging time sitting down to large portions of food. So mini meals can actually be a lot, um, lot more helpful in the whole recovery process. And then finally, children. Let children eat. Just let them snack. They really shouldn't be put on any type of schedule, especially young, younger kiddos, toddlers. They're pretty intuitive when it comes to food, so snacks are great for them. I actually just wrote a two-part um, blog series for Seacoast Mom's blog about healthy
1: child snacks, so you guys can go ahead and check that out. There are also, I would say, several conditions like maybe gastroparesis or maldigestion issues that might make mm. larger meals more difficult for you. So again, we, we aren't saying that eating five to six times a day is always bad, more just that you need to be able to know what's driving you to do that and then are you eating the right things when you are having something. Yeah, that's a good point too. And at the end of the day, if you're hungry, we want you to eat. That's
0: really the most important thing here, especially, especially, especially if you come from a restrictive diet mindset and so many of the, the women that I work with do. Don't, don't be super prescriptive about this. Let's always try to stay away from these hard and fast rules about food. Um, all right, so Kyle, do you have anything else to
1: add? Uh, are you a snacker? Do you, do you like to snack? What's your deal there? So since I work at a hospital and my husband works on job sites, I have to plan every single morsel of food and drink that we have during the day all week, in addition to breakfast and dinner. So the hospital I work at doesn't only have unhealthy options, but in terms of like nasty vegetable oils and, you know, conventional meats alone, my options are pretty limited at work. Um, So meal planning can get time consuming. And it's easy to get into a food rut out of frustration for always trying to find this balance between having variety and keeping your sanity. So because I work at a desk all day, I snack. It's like a mental game I play with myself, like just make it until snack time. Um, if I have the day off at from work though, or it's the weekend, that's what's interesting is because I usually don't snack much or at all during the day. So I think for me, it's just movement that's either helping with my hunger or distracting me from getting bored and just feeling like I I need need to have a snack when maybe I won't be, I'm not that hungry. Mm. Um, And just like what you said about Our history of not snacking and and typically having to work and move for our food, I think desk jobs can be challenging for some people in terms of not snacking or even doing any kind of intermittent fasting. It's far from impossible, it's just very different for everyone. Um, And not everyone is even a snacker, but those things can be challenging in those environments.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Kind of something that I didn't think of. The whole sedentary lives that we live. And so many of us are cooped up at our desk all day. And I didn't even really think about the boredom aspect either. Yeah. Of course we eat when we're bored. It's such a huge driver for snacking. And, you know, not even desk jobs. A lot of stay-at-home moms will tell me that they have issues with wanting to just eat all day. And that probably comes out of, out of boredom, too. Actually, what you were saying reminds me about what, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Stefan Gunett. I can never say it. It's G-U-Y-E-N-E-T. Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> okay, good. Nailed it. <laughs> he's a neuroscientist and he's also an obesi- ob- obesity researcher. And he talks about this idea of food barriers so there used to be food barriers that we'd have to overcome this is back to our hunting and gathering days we'd have to climb a tree or kill an animal or walk miles and miles in order to procure food or even in our more recent history just like working the farm but there was always some obstacle that had to be overcome to get food so we were only eating when we were truly hungry because it required actual work. And so to your point, Kyle, that work almost always required physical activity. So now we're in this position where there are, are no barriers to food. In fact, just the opposite because food is always being pushed on us and we still have those feel-good chemicals driving us to eat and we live sedentary lives. So yeah, snacking is a thing. Snacking's definitely a thing um his book is called the hungry brain if if anybody's interested in reading more about
1: that so let's dive into some examples um my go-to snacks are making some kind of energy balls on sunday you can freeze them and then i just pack a couple for my husband and i each day for work they're super easy and convenient um i they usually end up having soaked and dehydrated nuts Uh, I like to use grass-fed collagen powder for the protein in there. Some potions like maca powder, um, vanilla extract, hemp seeds, and a bunch of other goodies. I'll make these based off of recipes that I find on Pinterest or from other food bloggers. And uh, I just, they make different ones all the time and you can just kind of tweak them. But they're really easy and filling because of the protein and the fat. And you don't crash afterwards because you're not adding sugar to them
0: yeah those are that's such a good idea. I'm always recommending those because they're super duper easy to make and you can make huge batches of them and pack them with all sorts of goodies. Do you have any uh, favorite go to websites or blogs or or anything like that for for specific recipes? I know people are always asking me for that sort of thing and I don't really like follow any
1: any any yeah I don't know. I just kind of grab them where I can find them. I know I get a lot of my ideas from Pinterest probably more so from Instagram lately. And you can just search random hashtags, too. I mean, you could just search oh, a, good a hashtag idea. energy balls and see what comes up. But the thing about food bloggers and Instagram is that if you see one person making something, you'll probably end up seeing a handful of other food bloggers making just about the same thing like right right afterwards. <laughs> so there's a lot of repeating on there. But you can get a basic idea and then tweak it from there. Rachel's Good Eats is one uh, website that I like to follow on Instagram. Uh, She's a registered dietitian from Washington and has a ton of recipes on her site that you can modify and go off of. Um, And there's yeah. Sorry to interrupt.
0: I there's like you don't really even need a recipe. It's basically just like throwing things in a food processor. You really can't mess them up. And I think that's like one of my favorite things about them. But I was I'm curious. Is there a better a better um
1: name for them than energy balls? I don't know. <laughs> like- I don't know. It it's yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm power I'm really trying to keep it really PC right now. And, You're doing and a good job. I'm I'm just You're gonna move on. <laughs> I'm just gonna move on. Uh okay. <laughs> Some other snacks I like are um seasonal fruit. Seasonal being the key word there. Uh nuts. Carrot sticks are always in the rotation for me and legit one of my favorite foods. I remember there's like this, uh, you know, art that you made in kindergarten or whatever. And they asked you what your favorite food was. And I said carrot. So this is like a lifelong <laughs> love for me. Um, and you have to buy them from the farmer's market if you can, because they taste completely different than store bought. I mean, it's it's so sweet there. There's just such a big difference there um coconut yogurt is another one and even what some people wouldn't think of as a snack kombucha or sparkling water because sometimes if you're not really hungry but you just want something having something with that effervescence can Mm. can kind of like hit that um and honestly i've made so many things off of your website erin that that is definitely something that people should check out i have made your homemade lara bars a ton uh, lemon or lime, or ones that I used to do used to do all the time, and then your granola and Kurt, my husband can attest to this was a weekly thing for two years. I mean, I did not get sick of it. Oh, I'm kind of obsessed with my granola. <laughs> yeah, <so good. laughs>
0: yeah. You guys can check that out, AaronHoltHealth.com. I've been. I've been putting recipes up for probably like five or six years now, so there's definitely a ton of snack recipes, and you can also find them in my batch cook guide. Um, Kyle, you, I, you mentioned batch cooking earlier, and this is just an ebook on meal prep, kitchen hacks, and it's up on my website, AaronHoltHealth.com forward slash products. You guys can find that there. It's just some good ideas that I've kind of gleaned over the years.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, The last thing I wanna say about this topic is that no one is perfect. And some weeks are gonna be a lot more boring than others and that's okay. Because if you're like me and you need to pack everything you'll be eating or drinking for the entire workday, sometimes by the time you get to snacks after breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you are just over it and wanna keep it super simple. So in a perfect world would be eating these balanced snacks every time with protein, fat, and a little carb or fiber. But no one is perfect. And even as a dietitian, I just want to eat some plantain chips, drink a booch and call it a day. (laughs) So allow yourself some compassion and try to find some balance between living your life and meal planning. So you're not spending half of your Sunday in the kitchen, banging your head against the wall. Batch cooking comes in huge here.
0: Yeah. So it's really super helpful. Um, All right. So in an ideal world, what constitutes a healthy snack? Number one for me is go for real food. And that's sort of our whole shtick here. We're never going to suggest you eat something refined or processed. Um, Kyle, what do you see people eating as snacks, thinking they're healthy, but don't really qualify as real food?
1: Yeah. um, Energy bars for one. Mm. Some awful ones are Luna bars, power bars, Zone Perfect, Nutrigrain, Cliff Bars. Watch out for the sugar content, the natural flavors, ingredients you can't pronounce, any kind of funky oils, um, ingredients that are almost always GMO like corn and soy, and calories since these are supposed to be a snack, not a meal or a sugar bomb. Uh, string cheese is another one. So Sargento boasts, uh, protein and calcium on their package, but you're also getting over 200 milligrams of salt in just one stick.
0: Yeah. Plus the fact that it's conventional dairy. And yeah. this is a topic we promise to explore in an episode really soon. I feel like in Dirty Dancing, when Johnny keeps telling baby that he's going to teach her the lift, like I feel like that's <laughs> this what we're going to We're, like, we're going to <laughs> do this soon. We're going to get to this soon. I promise we will. But suffice it to say, it's we don't support conventional dairy. It is not a health food and it is for sure something to move away from. And so for those of you guys who aren't familiar with that term conventional dairy, it's basically dairy that you find in the supermarkets from feedlot cows, cows that are not able to pasture, cows that are fed genetically modified grains and corn, and they're dosed with hormones and antibiotics. And this absolutely affects the nutrition of their milk. So with that said, what other snacks are
1: masquerading as healthy? uh granola bars and dried fruit so nature's valley granola bar which i used to like kill back in the day (laughs) thinking that they were like a healthy option (laughs) um has sugar brown sugar syrup and honey in the ingredients i mean do you really need three different kinds of sugar in your snack uh dried fruit is often a sugary snack coated with crappy oil so this is not something that's going to keep you full or satisfied
0: yeah that's the 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 dried fruit i see a lot of people thinking that's a healthy snack um but it's super high in sugar and they always add sugar to it And like you said there's usually some kind of um, refined oil coating on it which is just gross yeah. and the thing you said about the granola bars is is such a good point that i want to point out to people because it's it's actually a trick of the trade to use different types of sugar in one product when you look at an ingredient label the ingredients are in order by weight so it's percentage of the entire product so i'm sure you've heard the advice to not eat anything that has sugar listed as one of the first three ingredients and that's sage advice i totally agree with that But what food manufacturers do is use all different kinds of sugar, corn syrup, honey, barley malt, maple syrup, dextrose, cane sugar, rice syrup, brown sugar. There's so many other ones that I'm not even touching upon. So these ingredients might be further down on the list, but if you lumped all the different types of sugar together, it would probably be the first or second ingredient.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Other ones, jerky. Any, again, conventional meat, sugar, salt, uh, yogurt, yogurts are a tough one. The mm-hmm. original play has 18 grams of sugar in it. So, I mean, I don't even know how many grams a Snickers bar has, but <laughs> I mean, it's, that's too much for yogurt. Um, so anyways, those are examples of snacks not to eat. Um, so let's talk about some real food snacks that we do like to eat. Again, I'll mention the energy balls Uh, because we just don't have a better name for them yet. We just Um, like to say it. (laughs) We do. Uh, Veggies, uh, small amounts of seasonal fruit, nuts. Coconut yogurt is one that I've been making recently and then adding cinnamon, chopped nuts, and some berries to it. Uh, I got this recipe so, so easy of a recipe. You just, you do need um, probiotics to make it, but go on Minimalist Baker. Her website is where you can find the coconut yogurt recipe. Um, Erin, what are some of your go-to snacks? Well, first let's back up.
0: I've been making coconut milk yogurt, but I do it in the Instant Pot. I'm still not like really super impressed, but you loved yours. So we're giving full, full credit in a shout out to Minimalist Baker. Get the recipe there. But just for selfish purposes, can you kind of walk me through exactly
1: what you did? It's literally, um, you take two cans of the Whole Foods brand, the 365 full fat coconut yogurt, and for each can that you use, you use two probiotic pills, and it have to be they have to be the capsules that you can take apart and then put in mm-hmm. and mix in with the coconut milk, and you have to use a wooden spoon to mix it because there's something if you don't use that that will react negatively with the probiotics. You make sure that it's everything's all mixed up. So I did two cans and four capsules and I use cheesecloth, which you, um, I don't even know where to tell people to get it. Health food stores or Amazon. Yes. Yes. Uh, so cheesecloth on top and then you have to put it someplace warm for like 48 hours. So what I ended up doing was putting it in the oven with the oven light on and left a note for myself on top of my oven, <laughs> yogurt <laughs> yogurt in the oven, um, and then that's it. And then the 48 hours you would find it kind of has like a good amount of tang to it. You might get some separation. So what I did, I like my yogurt like Greek as thick as can be. So I left the liquid on the bottom, scooped out everything that was on top, Put it over a, a fine mesh strainer with the cheesecloth over the strainer, dumped it over that, put it in an, over a bowl, and then put it in the fridge for the night. And then the next day, it was like thick, thick yogurt. And that was it. And then I just portioned out. It's rich. It's very, very rich. But um, I mean, that's that's okay. I'd rather have a little bit of the coconut yogurt, mix it with the nuts and berries, and you've got a good snack or even a breakfast oh that sounds so good I need to it's try really that. good i need it's to really try good. that for sure
0: so my the snacks that i love hard boiled eggs are always on rotation um i just steam a bunch of them at a time they're good for me and my kiddo and my husband and i always put a little salt on them fuel bites i make often obviously energy balls that kyle was talking about i make those a bunch fuel bites are, are um, another recipe on my website they're basically fat bombs it's just a bunch of fat so they keep me going for a while and they're pretty easy to eat Homemade coconut butter. I love to do that. Again, I have a recipe for that on my website, and you just need a food processor to do it. And I just eat that by the spoonful sometimes, uh, or I'll put it on fruit or put it on a bowl of berries. Kale chips. I don't love making my own kale chips because I don't have a dehydrator. And so the ones in the oven get really crispy and sometimes soggy. So a brand that I like is Rhythm because they use organic kale and they have really good ingredients. Bars that I like. RX bars. They're basically like Lara bars, which I also like, but they also have egg white protein. So I like that little bit of protein. Another bar that I like are Exo bars. They're made with cricket flour, which I know people are like, ew, because crickets are bugs, but it's such a good, sustainable source of protein that um, I just, I, Encourage people to at least give them a try because the the bars are really super tasty. Definitely higher in calories. I think they're like up coming up to like 300 calories. But I mean, depending on what you eat for the rest of the day, they can be a great snack. Primal Kitchen bars also have great ingredients. You can order those online. And then um, we do a lot of jerky, grass fed jerky. I really like Epic bars, and they also have bites. And then I recently discovered. Patagonia Provisions, and you can order those online, or maybe even get them at a Patagonia store. Um, But they have grass-fed bison, and then also um, some good salmon options. So those are kind of the staples in my house. Um, So we talked about real food. Those are all good real food options. Uh, Next up, a balance of macronutrients. I I tell people to think about three things, protein, fat, and fiber. Now fiber is not a macronutrient. Um, Carbohydrate is, but fiber is not. It's actually not even digested by by our bodies, but instead the bacteria that live in our guts. But it kind of gets you thinking in the right direction because high fiber foods are going to be the fruit, the veggies, the nuts, and the seeds, even the whole grain like oats. So if you mess around with, with, with oats and with grains, you can think about those as a high fiber food. But thinking about fiber instead of just carbohydrates keeps you away from the refined garbage that will spike and crash your blood sugar. Now, I am not saying, and Kyle said this earlier, I'm going to reiterate, you have to balance out your snack's Perfectly, you know she's not hyper focused on that. Nope. Um, like, and I just think that that's kind of silly. Like every single meal, every single snack is not going to be perfectly balanced out. That's not how we would eat in, in the wilderness anyway. Um, and some some of my snacks are just just straight fats, like I was saying with the fuel bites, and some are more protein heavy, like a jerky bar or hard boiled egg. And sometimes it's just a piece of fruit, like an apple. But I do think that a good snack has at least one of those three components: fat, protein fiber, or even all three.
1: Well, you know people are going to want to know about calories. And of course, there is no easy answer here. It totally depends on your body, what's going on health-wise, your activity level, what else you've eaten all day, yada, yada. But I think around 200 calories, maybe up to 300 is a good ballpark. Anything less than 200 probably won't fill you up. Anything more than 300 is kind of a lot for a snack.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I would say, the same exact thing. Um, And then finally, think outside the box when it comes to snacks. I think we've all grown so accustomed to thinking about snacks as convenience foods, like it has to be packaged up for on the go. But the more you lean toward convenience, usually the more you move away from real food. So here are some snacks that I like that might seem a little bit weird, but it's really just just food. So a small roasted sweet potato with almond butter, coconut butter, or even coconut oil. I love that. Um, If I'm hungry in between meals, sometimes I'll do broccoli, just pan fried in a cast iron skillet with like a lot of uh, coconut oil, sometimes even some nutritional yeast. I'll do half or even a whole avocado. Uh, Something I really like is bone broth, blended up with greens or herbs in a mug. So actually do that in, in the blender such a great way to get minerals and amino acids in um, sardines in a lettuce wrap or even right out of the can. Sometimes I just eat them like like they're almost multivitamins. I'm just eating them out of the can. Wow. And then one I really love is nori wraps. So the seaweed wraps that you would use to make sushi and just wrap up some veggies or avocado. Um, those
1: are kind of like my go-to not packaged foods. I need to find the, the to just take the leap and try some sardines. Just, just do it. I just haven't had. Even if you I, just like house
0: oh. them, like, you know, like hold your nose and eat them. I think they taste just similar to tuna. I'll mash them up into like tuna really? fish salad. Um, okay. I, did that I love last tuna week. fish. You do? So I did that last weekend and Scott had no idea i mean he likes starting to eat them for breakfast but had no idea they were even in there so something mm, to try okay um you guys i'm going to be putting up a snack guide on my website so if um we'll kind of outline a lot of the st- suggestions we mentioned here so you guys can check that out and i kind of think that's all i have to say about snacks you have yeah. anything to add
1: I think that's it. That guide sounds great. So for anyone who's kind of looking to get this and all wrapped together, um, definitely go to Erin's website and check out that snack guide. And I think that's it for, for us this week. So keep sending in your questions and thanks for listening. Cool. Bye, guys.
0: Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.